Good morning. Big day tomorrow for a couple of our families. Uh, Juan and Esther will be united together in marriage. Wave your hands so that they see you. They invited me to come to their wedding. They're right up front here. So they'd like to see the sanctuary full tomorrow, just like it is today. And then we've got uh, Donnie and Wally back there. Wave your hands. We've got their wedding tomorrow. And uh, we'll hand out tranquilizers later, just to calm their nerves. So we're living in exciting times. You can let this down, by the way. There we go. Can't start without that. Is it on? If it's not, I'll use this. The batteries were a little low when we had it the other day. I'm hearing a lot of stories from individuals that uh, are here visiting from churches. We're glad that you're here. And uh, they're sharing with us a lot of things that are happening in their churches. Don't conk me on the head. There you go. You never know about some of these guys. Some of these things that are happening in a lot of churches all around the area. And a lot of people are saying, you know, it's hard to find a place where the good old Seventh-day Adventist message is being preached. So I'm glad you're here. Hopefully I will not disappoint you. We're going to look at a fatal deception. We're looking for our visitors at the reality of the fact that before Jesus comes within God's Laodicean church of Revelation chapter 3, there's going to be a time when many people will be spewed out of the mouth of the body of Christ. A shaking, we often call it. We don't like to hear anything like that, and neither does God. But he says that it will happen. I want you to look at something that's found in Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 343. It says, Let no one take the limited and narrow position that any of the works of man can help in the least possible way to liquidate the debt of his transgression. This is a fatal deception. This is so dimly comprehended, it'll turn here, that thousands upon thousands claiming to be sons of God are children of the wicked one because they will depend upon their own works. I don't like that statistic, do you? Thousands upon thousands claiming to be in the church are actually the children of the wicked one. Really, in a nutshell, many are still attempting to make themselves good enough in their own way. 
Those who will be shaken out of the church want to offer their own works to God as a basis for their acceptance by God. At the same time, they also refuse to accept the work and the power of Jesus within their life. Matthew 7, we've looked at this before, but we've got to look at it again. Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus is speaking and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them. Who's declaring that? Jesus. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These people are confused. How could Jesus ever possibly think of rejecting them when they've been so sincere about doing things in the name of the Lord. We believe, we call you Lord. We do these wonderful things in your name. How could you possibly reject us? I want to go back for a second. I want you to see two things. Matthew seven twenty-one to 23. Not everyone who says to be Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father. Let's call that one group. And then down below it says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? That's a second group. Two groups. Those who said, Lord, Lord. Those who said, Lord, Lord, and gave a list of their accomplishments. The most common belief held by most Christians is that I must work hard to do the will of God, change my life, and become righteous before he will accept me. Didn't I share prophecy, and didn't I cast out demons, and didn't I accomplish many wonderful things in your name? Lord, look what I've done. I've worked hard. The second thing is many people say that I call on the name of the Lord by faith, and he accepts me the way I am. That's all I need to do, is just believe, and he accepts me. So I just call out, Lord, Lord, and by faith, he accepts me. Well, herein is an error that makes us think that we're in good standing within the church, that we are in good standing with the Lord, but the Lord says, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to spew you out of the body of Christ. The first group is attempting the right thing for the right reasons with the wrong power because they're trying to do it on their own power. They're saying, well, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? And I call you, Lord, I'm doing the right things. doing it for you. That's the right reason. But they didn't rely upon the power of God. The second group presumes the wrong thing for the right reasons with no power. They presume that all I have to do is just believe on the Lord. That's all I need to do. I don't need to follow any directions, any 
any doctrines or anything else. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm doing it for the right reason because I'm calling you Lord, that you're my Savior. But that's all I have to do and there's no power behind them from heaven. And yet both groups call it righteousness by faith. Volume 1, Selected Messages, page 359. There is not one in 100 who understands for himself the Bible truth on this subject that is so necessary to our present and eternal welfare. Not one in a hundred. So what do we have here today? We have 200? Only two people, if that's the, the statistic, only two people understands righteousness by faith. Only two people understand what it's to be like when Jesus has come. First of all, we have to understand this. Righteousness by faith, you've heard that before. Justification by faith, having to do with past sins. Sanctification, that's changing my life, becoming more like Jesus, are so interwoven together, we cannot have one without the other. It's kind of like the Trinity. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To talk about one and not talk about the others is impossible. Because Jesus says, if, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know what I do, you know what the Father does. If you know what I believe, you know what the Father believes. But the Holy Spirit believes it as well, too. They're all part of God. And so righteousness by faith, justification by faith, and sanctification is so interwoven, we can't have one without the other. It's important. So if we say, if we talk about justification by faith, we also mean righteousness by faith. We also mean sanctification. They're not separate entities although there may be very little pieces within it, but they are all woven together. So if I talk about justification by faith or righteousness by faith, really since they're kind of intertwined, I could be saying the same things. that makes sense? Listen to what it says in Testimonies to Ministers, page 91 and 92. Justification through faith. Now remember, justification, sanctification, righteousness, it's all intertwined, so it means the same. Invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is manifested in obedience to all the commandments of God. That's sanctification. So here I have justification through faith invites people that you and me to receive the righteousness of whom? Christ. And will that make a change within my life? It should. Because it helps me to obey all the commandments of God, which is sanctification. It's living a life like Jesus' life. But I'm not doing it on my own power. There's another power that is there. Oh, by the way, Spirit of Prophecy also defines justification by faith as the perfect blend and inseparable working together of justification, sanctification, and the power of the indwelling Christ. So what 
is it that God does in us? Desire of Ages, page 555 and 556. The righteousness of Christ is a principle of life that transforms the character and controls the conduct. Every converted soul will signalize the entrance of Christ into the heart by abandonment of the unrighteous practices. In other words, we cooperate with the Spirit of Christ to begin to make changes, not to hide my sins and say, well, if no one finds these things out, then then I'm okay, I'm saved. It's to be able to say, Lord, I am the chief of all sinners, and I need help. And that help comes by the Spirit of Christ that enters in. Galatians 2.16 Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. You remember that one group that says, Lord, didn't I do this, and didn't I do this, and didn't I do this? Look, Lord, look what I've done. They're doing it on their own power. When I do it on my own power, I will not be justified in the eyesight of God. Romans 3, 20 through 22. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. So what is it that, be, that can become a part of me? How am I right before the Lord? It is because of the righteousness of Christ. It's what He's done. It's His power that changes me. It's not me that changes me. It's His power that changes me. It is my sins that are forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross. It's not by what I've done. It's by what he has already done. I am justified, I am righteous, and he will help to sanctify me to get me ready for the soon coming of Jesus. Any attempt on my own to keep the law is what's going to shake me out of the church before Jesus comes. If I try to do it on my own power, and if I can't do something, I try to cover it up and thank you the church. The church doesn't know that Jesus doesn't know. Jesus knows all things. I'm still on my power. And Jesus says, I'm sorry. You didn't call upon me. You didn't know me to come in to be able. I wanted to help you. I wanted to be able to, to change your life. And all this, that part is legalism. A legalist knows and believes what is required for salvation and because he desires to be saved, he works really hard in his own strength to do all the right things rather than realizing that God empowers people for holy living. God gives to him the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to help make the changes from within us. But they try to do it on their own. Oh, i got to do this, i got to do this, i got to do this before Jesus will ever accept me. But if I say I must love, here's the other group, 
I must love others, worship God, and help those in need by faith in Jesus, those will be shaken out. Here's what they're relying on. It's my faith in Jesus, and as long as I demonstrate and show that faith to others, and I go and I help them, and I, and I come and I worship God, and, and I just do all those things by faith, then I'm okay. I don't need commandments. I don't need doctrines. I don't need anything. There is a growing movement within the churches today that has started about 20 years ago called the Emergent Church. Have you heard of it? The Emergent Church is, I accept Christ by faith. Hey, that's great. I do too. But they stop there. And they say that within the church, in order to get people ready for the soon coming of Jesus, is to accept them to come into the church and adapt the church to what they believe. Don't present biblical things. In fact, the sermons that are often preached by the pastors have, are mostly stories. Now, we like stories, but they don't use the Bible. And so there's, there's nothing that says, thus saith the Lord. So if the community, if you live in a uh, heathen community, I won't say any ethnic groups or anything else, but let's say a heathen community, then the church then adopts the heathen practices and give them Christian names, and then they apply those things. They're going back and they're looking at mystic, mystic worship forms of service and trying to incorporate them in a Christian church. Spiritualism. A lot of these things that they used to practice in, uh, in uh, Buddhism and other things, incorporate it within the church. Give it a Christian name. Change it just a little bit so it has a, a Christian idea. And then they'll want to come to church. And when they come to church, then we're all worshiping the same God. And we're all heading toward Christ. So that's what the difference is. Never make a church member out of a person by presenting doctrines, but just make sure that they're heading towards Christ. Then they can become a church member. That's the emergent church. They want to change the way they worship. They want to, to uh, change the way they look. They don't want to be a stumbling block to the community. So you'll see the pastor coming out wearing blue jeans. He'll wear a sports coat to be able to appeal to those that want to wear a sports coat. And then he'll wear a t-shirt underneath. All in the name of Christ. That it's okay. It's comfortable here. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is say, Lord, Lord, and it's okay. You don't have to do anything else. And Jesus says, you don't even accept the will of the Father. Because you don't open up the scriptures to be able to see what the will of the Father is. You don't present it to the people to see what the will of the Father is. You don't prepare them for the second coming of Jesus. The faith I live by, page 93. The opposite and no less dangerous error is the belief in Christ releases men from keeping the law of God. 
That since by faith alone we become partakers of the grace of Christ, our works have nothing to do with our redemption. That's the emergent church. We could call it cheap grace. Desire to be saved? As long as you have a desire, that's okay. But you deny the necessity of of sanctification, of changing your life. You don't have to change your life in the emergent church. And the power of God, you don't need the power of God. All you have to do is believe. So both the legalists and those that believe in cheap grace believe they're doing God's will. And that's where the fatal error is. They think that they're doing God's will. But God's last day church believes this, Revelation 14, 7. Fear God and give glory to him. By the way, you can add that the hour of his judgment in the emergent church, you don't talk about judgment. You don't talk about anything like that. You don't talk about hell. You don't talk about destruction. You don't talk about Sabbath. Don't want to make anything that will create waves. But here it says that we are to fear God and give glory to him. What does that mean, to give glory to him? Leviticus 10, verse 3, in the King James Version, a lot of them change it, but here is really the powerful statement that comes in Leviticus 10, verse 3. Moses is speaking to his brother Aaron and says, This is it that the Lord spoke. So this comes from the word of God, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh to me, and before all the people I will be glorified. Do you know what glorifies God? Is when I allow the power of the Holy Spirit of Christ to change me so that I can become different. I cooperate with the power of Christ so that I'm no longer the same. I don't look like the world. I am different from the world. I am preparing for the kingdom of a God which is totally different, totally foreign to what this world is like. That's what Moses is telling Aaron, that he heard from God. We give glory to God when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit by faith and witness to others by the changes within our lives, these perfect changes that Jesus makes And it's not by our power, but it's by His power. And I don't try to hide anything. If I have problems, it is because I keep trying to get self-involved, but it is no longer self-involved. What's really important is Jesus Christ. Manuscript 16, written in 1890. To give glory to God is to reveal His character in our own, and thus make him known. That's what the world wants to see. They don't want to see us to look more like a Buddhist, but put Christian names on it. They don't want us to see like a non-Christian that is out there, but we'll just take whatever he believes and bring it into the church and say, you know, that's okay, we can believe that, we can do that. We'll just give it another term. No, to give glory to God is to reveal his character because he is working in me. Righteousness by faith is doing the right thing for the right reason with the right power. And that power is Jesus Christ. It's not our righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. 
This is the only righteousness that can save us and is available to us right now. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I know I am in Jesus because what I begin to reflect in my life is not my righteousness, but it is Jesus' righteousness. Ah, come on. It's Jesus. He is our righteousness. Jesus is our sanctification. It's not what I do to change my life. It's what He's going to do to change my life. He is my redemption. He's the one that's going to save me. I'm not saved by myself, not on my own power. I'm not saved just by total faith. I have to cooperate with Him in His way, and He's willing to do all these things. To rely on the righteousness of Christ alone is not to deny that there will be good works in the life of a Christian. I'm going to change. It's going to happen. I'm going to do what Jesus did when he was here on this earth. It's all the fruit of the Christian experience and it all glorifies God. But it's by his power, not by mine. Our acceptance before God depends only upon the perfect life of Jesus Christ and not upon a combination of of his righteousness and our righteousness. Our acceptance before God depends upon the perfect life of Jesus. It is his robe of righteousness that I need to be willing to wear. My righteousness is as filthy rags. Desire of Ages, page 300. The proud heart strives to earn salvation. But both our title to heaven and our fitness for it are found in the righteousness of Christ. The Lord can do nothing towards the recovery of man until convinced of his own weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency. He then yields himself to the control of God. Then he can receive the gift that God is waiting to bestow. not by my effort. It's not just by, so all I have to do is believe and it doesn't make any difference what I do in my life. It's by whether I'm willing to allow God to work in me. That I'm convinced that I am weak, I am helpless, And I can't do things on my own. And I give control of my life to the God who wants to save me. That's my Redeemer. That's the one that I love. And He must control my life. Let's take our hymnals. And let's turn to hymn number 343. I will sing of my Redeemer. Hymn number 343. And forty three.
will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer with his blood he purchased me on the cross he sealed my pardon paid the debt and made me free i will tell the wondrous story how my lost estate to save his boundless love and mercy, he the ransom freely gave. Sing, oh, sing, my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me on the cross, sealed my pardon, paid the sing of my Redeemer and his heavenly love to me. He from death to life hath brought me, Son of God, with him to be. Sing, oh sing, Redeemer, with his blood purchased me on the cross he sealed my pardon paid the debt and made me free thank God for the work of Jesus Christ we would be lost for those that are going to be added to the church board to nominate the nominee